is McKinsey on Healthcare, a podcast series about visionaries, leaders, and problem solvers shaping the future of healthcare. On today's episode, McKinsey partner Erica Coe is joined by Michael Fisher of Cincinnati's Children's Hospital. Michael, it's great to be speaking with you today about the topic of social determinants of health. Such a critical topic given 40% of health outcomes are determined by social determinants. Would love to start with just understanding from you, how did you find yourself leading a children's hospital? Eric, it's great to be with you. And I had the privilege to be on our board of trustees. And it gave me a firsthand view of the incredible work that we were doing for children, both on the research and clinical care side, but also to make a difference in the lives of children, their families, and our community. And having been an entrepreneur for many years, I really saw the opportunity to give back to our community to bring some of that innovative spirit and that uh, notion of really better serving customers, in this case, patients, families, and communities. What were some of the pivotal moments growing up that shaped who you are as a healthcare leader today? I was fortunate to be in a loving and caring home, had great parents as role models who taught me how to care for others and treat everyone with respect and dignity and try to make a difference. I also went to a large urban public high school and really began to appreciate the values of diversity. I had a chance to go to Stanford, and I think there learned a lot about collaboration, pursuit of excellence, innovation, and then I spent the bulk of my career growing an automotive supplier globally and learned a lot about what was going on internationally. But I think specifically on the healthcare leader side, learning from great mentors and teachers, colleagues of mine at Cincinnati Children's, like Dr. Uma Kodagal, one of the real leaders in equality, safety, and community uh, from people like Maureen Bisignano and Don Berwick from IHI and so many others. And I think there was a a event early in my time as the CEO at Cincinnati Children's where we lost a little boy that made a profound impact on me. I already knew the importance of being focused on safety and quality, but I think that just drove really deeply uh, into me the enormous responsibility we have for children, the responsibility we have to the community. I would say in the early shapings was to spend time with new moms out in the community, outside the hospital, and here are the challenges they were grappling with in these areas of uh, social determinants or what uh, some are increasingly calling health drivers. And it became clear to me that we as a children's hospital in particular, and certainly as an anchor institution, had to find ways to do more and to be a better partner. Picking up on your third reason around social determinants, I think it is probably an understatement to say that Cincinnati Children's Hospital has really been a leader in this space and with this topic. There's been considerable research demonstrating that social and environmental experiences in childhood can really affect outcomes later in life. Would love to understand from you either a little bit more about your experience out in the community with those new moms or more broadly, how you see social factors, whether it be education, housing, violence or other trauma, food insecurity, really playing a role in children's health. We see this in our primary care clinics. We've put in uh, food pantries uh, because it's been clear to us that some of these children and their families uh, literally don't know where their next meal is coming from. So of course, the ability to be healthy, to be on a medication regimen is compromised in that kind of way if they don't have basics like food. And so uh, we uh, now for a decade plus have built in a really uh, thoughtful and appropriate screening to figure out 
whether it's food insecurity, whether it's housing issues, or other kinds of things that might inhibit a child from being healthy, how to build that into the initial intake of a child during a well visit, and then to connect them with all of the right partners who we work closely with to help address those issues. Children don't choose to be in poverty. It is, in this case, their parents or their guardians. So I think we've also realized that it's a multi-generational approach, not only focused on the child. I'm curious how addressing social determinants may be different for a pediatric population compared to an adult population. So I think one of the other things that's uh, uh, unique when it comes to children and their health and where these health drivers or social determinants come into play is certainly prenatally, we hope, and maybe in the first year, we as healthcare provider have the opportunity to interact with some regularity uh, with the mom, with the child. But as they get older, we really don't have the chance to interact with them and see them quite as much. So I think one of the things we are really working hard on is our partnership with the public schools, because this is where children are in either daycare and preschool settings or as they get into school. And so we are increasingly working in our case with Cincinnati Public Schools and ultimately others in our community on how can we help the school system, the teachers, bring in some of the same quality improvement methodologies and mindsets that we've been using to improve quality, improve safety, and so forth in the healthcare setting into these school settings. And it's empowering teachers. It's allowing us to connect with these kids in a different way. And we're actually already seeing some evidence of improved third grade reading scores in places where that training has happened. We're providing school-based clinics, whether it's well visits, whether it's catching things early, I think is also palpable. We know the tremendous burden of mental and behavioral health issues affecting society, certainly children and adolescents, but we know the earlier we can intervene, educate, give parents coping skills, children coping and behavioral skills, the better. So we have started to embed psychologists into both primary care settings and in school settings. And we think these are some of the differences that we can make earlier for children. As an industry leader, I'm curious what you think the role of health systems is in addressing these types of drivers of health. I can't speak for all health systems. I can say what uh, we believe at Cincinnati Children's, what we see in our community is that partnerships are essential, elevating the importance of children and children's health, not only on the altruistic and moral grounds, but for the benefit of society is really important. And so we think we've got a big role to play to bring our content knowledge and our passion and our expertise to convene various parties, whether it's social service agencies, government entities, uh, certainly schools and businesses to the table. Other thing that we have to work hard on every day, but I think it's really important to this work, and that's trust. Getting a parent, a child or an adolescent, and all of these other partners to come together, to stay together, to work on these kinds of issues together, I think is the work that we're talking about to address some of these social determinants. When you think about your ability to really treat the whole person in a risk-based model and how you view the financing angle of this. I think to the notion of economic sustainability of some of this work, we are fortunate to have philanthropic support, foundation support, and some well-meaning businesses helping us on those kind of things. I know in our state, we've been working with the state on home visitation for at-risk first-time moms, maybe some help on the mental health provider support, both in school and other settings, and then on the core policy piece of that, particularly for the children on Medicaid. I think at an institution like ours, we also 
are an enormous research institution. And so I think our ability to provide these kinds of uh, partnerships and interventions and do learning that is publishable, that might warrant research funding so that we can come up with evidence-based interventions as opposed to really altruistic ones. And I personally have been very involved in is uh, a multi-sector approach in our community called the Child Poverty Collaborative. And I think what we've uh, been able to make the case uh, increasingly to our friends in the business community is this is good for their business to have children who grow up to be capable employees, to have citizens who are productive, and it's sharing best practices about how to overcome transportation barriers for people with their job needs or uh, other kinds of interventions that employers will see in their self-interest for a more productive, more stable, more growing workforce. I'd love to pick up on something that you mentioned, the fact that you view partnerships as being essential. I think one challenge that often stakeholders find when trying to address social determinants is the fact that no single stakeholder can do it alone. And often, not only is the healthcare industry fragmented, but the social sector industry is also quite fragmented and it can be challenging to actually work across that many partners. With some of the success that you have had, would love to know if you have any kind of advice or lessons learned on how you've incentivized such different partners to come to the table with you, whether it be public schools or employers or others. Well, I think it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And I think the incentive is children. So how can we come together around some shared goals mm -hmm. uh, for those children? How can we learn from each other? How can we share some of these improvement tools so that we're all using similar methodologies to try to drive that? So one area I know our team has been working on is using uh, geomapping and other techniques to look at uh, particulate matter. And it, it may be uh, more condensed near a highway, for example, or near a former industrial site, for example. And we know those neighborhoods are going to have higher incidence of uh, asthma and other kinds of respiratory diseases. So we're better able to pinpoint where some proactive interventions may come in in terms of our care. Are you actually collecting social determinant data in electronic medical records? Yes. And, um, you know, the, the another area where uh, through uh, community health workers and almost block by block, um, where we know which apartment buildings might have had a lead issue or other kinds of issues uh, by literally targeting uh, th those neighborhoods, those streets, those buildings, and with trusted community health workers and other members of the support system, you know, we've been able to, um, in a couple of neighborhoods, uh, dramatically reduce extreme prematurity. Uh, and, and so part of it's knowing some of those social determinants. Part of it is building the trust and relationship with those expected moms to make sure they're getting the uh, appropriate prenatal care and early childhood support. These kinds of changes don't happen instantly. Um, but the but the opportunity and the payoff is uh, immense. Great. If you step back, what would you describe as the biggest challenges that your system is facing now in attempt to address the social determinants? I think the biggest challenges are ones we've touched on in different ways already. I think one is continuing to uh, strengthen that trust mm -hmm. in urban settings like ours. I also think the scale of the problem and the scale of the challenge is really large. And I think it's going to take a sustained, concerted effort to keep making progress on it. If you were to have the chance to reach out to other industry or government leaders, 
to really crack the code on social determinants of health, what questions would you raise? What is our responsibility to help our fellow human beings and particularly the most vulnerable among us? And are we doing all that we can? And then I think there's the self-interested view. Would we rather make smart, evidence-based investments and interventions earlier? Not only do these children thrive better individually, but that we society benefit from healthier, more productive, better educated children and as they become adults. And um, how can we work better together? How can we learn from things that are working? You know, there's some interventions we've done in the safety arena with 130 children's hospitals that by sharing best practices together, by sharing common goals and data, we can make real progress on what seem to be intractable problems. I would not underestimate the importance of the health system or health provider side, but this would be true for the business entities and social service entities and schools. I wouldn't underestimate the importance and influence of boards of trustees and boards of directors to say, this is who we are, this is a priority, and we're going to find a way to do our part on helping address these issues of social determinants. I think when uh, the highest entities of our institutions put a stake in the ground, particularly when they partner with the senior management to do so, I think we can make a lot of progress. There's so much value in just prioritization from the top. So given the current behavioral health crisis that our nation is in at the moment with um, life expectancy declining, suicide on the rise, and the point that you made of the importance of mental health in a um, children's population and really finding ways to intervene early, how do you view social determinants as being a potential important lever in addressing behavioral health needs? I would first amplify just this enormous challenge of mental and behavioral health that children and adolescents are facing. I think this is one we just have to dramatically pick up the pace, the investment, the interventions, the upstream that we need to do on it. I think on the the social determinant front, mental and behavioral health doesn't know any boundaries when it comes to socioeconomic status, race status. It, It permeates every segment of society. That said, of course, uh, issues around uh, stress or what people often refer to as ACEs, joblessness or low income, food insecurity, uh, transportation gaps, childcare gaps and inequities, you know, those things only exacerbate the kind of environment that a child or adolescent is growing up in and it makes it that much more challenging uh, for them on the mental and behavioral health front. But again, I think it's really important when we talk about mental health to recognize this affects every segment of society, regardless of income, et cetera. Michael, building off of the great progress and impact that you all have been having, are there any words of advice that you would leave others with? Well, I think we've just begun to make a little dent in our own community um, through partnerships with our institution and with parents and children. If 40 plus percent of a child's health and therefore life potential trajectory is influenced by these issues around income, then I think we as healthcare institutions, we as children's hospitals, we as society have to do something about it and do our part. Thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in. To learn more about McKinsey's work in healthcare, please visit mckinsey.com.